Chapter 25 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 25 How Hilda Keeps Her Powder Dry. At an early hour of the following morning, Hilda presented herself at the residence of Mrs. Kingsley. That lady was in her sitting room, and at her request, Hilda was shown into her. I knew you'd come to see me at last, Hilda, she said coming forward pleasantly to meet her. I was telling Mabel the other day that with all your odd freakishness, you're such a good girl at heart that I was sure you wouldn't be ugly with me long. I'm a straight-up-and-down girl, Cousin Algin, if I'm nothing else, gravely replied Hilda. And so I think it's but right to say that, coming in the way I do, I don't feel I ought to take your hand. If you'd give it to me after a bit, I mean, when I'm going, and in the way I'd like, I'll be right pleased to take it. There is but one way I know of to give and take a hand, Hilda, mildly rejoined the lady, and that is in kindness and good understanding. I can't be a hypocrite, Cousin Algin, said the young girl. I've come to you on business that will be anything but pleasant to you, and I must say so. Mrs. Kingsley opened wide her pale gray eyes, with no look of offense, however, at the plain-spoken manner of her visitor. And what, pray, may this business be? she asked. Can you not guess, Cousin Algin? I might guess it is on the errand Mabel came the other day, was the reply. Only it's not like you, you're so high-spirited. No more is it like Mabel, quickly returned Hilda. She told you you were mistaken, that she didn't come to beg. She wanted work, Cousin Algin. Work that she'd have toiled over day and night, thinking nothing of the sacrifice of rest and health, mind you. Thinking of nothing but the making of a little money to keep off starvation from us all, but mostly from our poor suffering Lily, who is, this day, as helpless as when a babe in the arms. Then she thought, Maybe you'd give her a little money on Mother's watch, so she needn't take it to a stranger. For it was needful money should come somehow. Yes, poor girl, she explained to me about the watch, said Mrs. Kingsley, and it really made me feel extremely sad. But since it had to be done, it was as well it should be done in the hands of a stranger as in mine. With me, it could have been no matter of business, but of charity. No, not charity, but assistance. And when I do anything of that sort, I like it to stand under its own name. There would have been nothing like charity about it, Cousin Algin, said Hilda warmly. Had the money lent not been returned, the watch would have been yours. It wouldn't have done, my dear, mildly returned Mrs. Kingsley and for reasons that I will not hurt your feelings by mentioning, and to be frank with you, Hilda, which I know is what you like, I was much surprised at learning Mabel was in such difficulty. It appears to me, even with all possible allowances made for her youth and inexperience, that there must be some unhappy leaning to extravagance, since she has not done better with the fair start she had. Your poor father had somewhat this leaning in his youth, 
and it doesn't seem impossible it may have descended to his children. Mabel, extravagant, exclaimed Hilda. Surely, cousin Algin, you cannot think it. There are few, even years older than she is, who could have made out so well under such difficulties. I don't mean anything unkind of Mabel, rejoined the cousin, for I think her a most estimable young woman. Still, it can't be denied she has made little of the advantages she has had. That place at the sewing-machine rooms, for instance, with eight and nine dollars a week. That place would have enabled her to keep herself and little Lily in decent comforts, Cousin Algin. But you know how she lost it. Through that terrible accident to poor Lily, she had to give up everything for a time but attending to her. And even after that, Mabel could have done well if she'd have been able to get plenty of work and at decent prices. But poor girl, it's been a hard struggle for her all the time. The struggle wasn't helped by your adding one to the family, Hilda. As far as I can learn, you have not been making your expenses to Mabel. But I've tried my best and Mabel knows it, said Hilda, her face flushing. And she never said anything like you've said, Cousin Algin, for it's not like her. She didn't say it. I merely gathered it from her answers to my questions. I referred to the fact simply to remind you how much better it would have been to keep a good home when you had it, Hilda. I did my best to keep my promise made to your dear mother, and you cannot justly say you had cause to leave me. I can justly say it, Cousin Algin, and it is to talk about that very thing I've come today. Only what you said about Mabel being extravagant put me off of it for a time. I've been thinking a good deal about little Lily since Mabel's telling me how poorly she is, interrupted Mrs. Kingsley, looking across Hilda's shoulder to the clock on the mantel. And as I've been wanting to come and see her, I'd return with you now, only I have an engagement with a friend which I cannot possibly put off. It is very near eleven now, and she will be looking for me. Hilda made not the slightest movement to go, though she well understood the lady's hint. I thought to have been through with all I had to say by this time, she remarked, but cannot leave Cousin Algin till it is said. I want to tell you why I went away from you three months ago. Do you remember the evening of the Fourth of July, when you walked with Cousin Hugh in the garden? I was in the summer house, you didn't know, and I heard every word that you said. Hilda watched Mrs. Kingsley's countenance closely as she said these words. She believed she saw a paling of her features and a trembling of the hand which rested on the back of the lounge where her cousin sat. But the room was shaded by heavy window curtains, and the flickering of the firelight might readily have deceived her. Indeed, as the young girl had positively made up her mind that her communication must cause considerable emotion to her auditor, it was not surprising if her fancy misled her to any point. "'And what did you hear, child?' asked her cousin, in a tone that betrayed no agitation, whatever she might have felt. "'So far as I remember, there was nothing said which you or anyone else might not have heard.' You talked about the paper, Cousin Algin, so I know the whole story, 
I know enough to demand right and justice at your hand and at Cousin Hugh's for father's children, almost starving for food, his baby, Lily, needing even the pure air which is life and the only chance of life for her. Before I left home, Cousin Algin, I said I would demand this justice of you, but I now humbly ask it only, giving you a chance to do this good and sensible thing of your own free will. Oh, cousin, cousin, think of us, three poor girls this cold, dreary day, suffering and friendless. Think of the bright Christmas time coming, yet no Christmas for us. Think of the unhappy time poor Mabel has gone through since dear mother's death, toiling her young life away, losing health and strength, and for what? Why, far as herself goes, for merely the crust to eat, the poor roof over her head, a little fire to keep from freezing, and almost rags to cover her. Think of our little Lily, confined to a bed of suffering, with scarcely the comforts necessary to keep body and soul together. Think what agony to dear Mabel to have no power to give her such things as would, in part at least, make her time less wearisome and less miserable. Think, I say, of all this, Cousin Algin, and knowing what you know, how, if things were as they should be, we would this day have plenty and to spare. Do a simple act of right to those so nearly connected with you. The past shall be forgotten, cousin. We will receive at your hands, almost as a gift, what has been so long withheld, and what you can so well spare. We will receive it thankfully, gratefully. Hilda had risen while speaking, and stood before her cousin, tears streaming over her cheeks, and that pleading in her gestures, which expressed itself in her words and tone. A strange contrast to the excitement of the young girl was presented by the appearance and bearing of the lady, as she sat in the corner of her lounge, an expression of surprise on her features, nothing more. Strange, infatuated girl, she said, looking with something like pity upon her young cousin. How completely have fancy and your strange temper carried you away? What quirk has taken possession of you? I cannot even imagine. But if you do not quickly become more rational, you are likely to pass for one bereft of reason. Hilda, my dear, I am your friend, much as you seem to doubt it, and my advice to you is good. Go home quietly to Mabel and keep yourself composed as possible for the remainder of the day. See no one else, talk to no one else while you are in this strange condition. Mabel is sensible. She is rational. She would never encourage an outbreak like this. While Mrs. Kingsley spoke, Hilda had made a great effort for composure, and it was in a voice almost as calm as her cousin's own, she now said, Then, cousin, you refuse to do us this act of justice. You will see us struggling on as in the past. You will look quietly on while worse days than we have yet known come for us. You have put it out of my power to aid you in any way, Hilda. I will not have it said I was threatened into charity by a crazy girl. Hilda's forced composure was at an end. 
It was with flashing eyes she now confronted her cousin. You don't think me crazy, she said. You know this minute I'm sane as girl ever was. And, Cousin Algin, since you will not give us what is our own, it shall be given to us by the hand of the law. Go home, you say, and see no one but patient, enduring Mabel. On the contrary, I leave you to make my statement to one of the first lawyers of this city, and before night the first step will probably be taken toward obliging you to a simple act of decency and right. You will be stigmatized as a mad woman, miserable girl, returned Mrs. Kingsley. What lawyer in his senses will credit so absurd a statement as you seem to hint at? Any will, all must, replied Hilda. Oh, yes, they must. It is the truth, and truth will speak for itself. And, Cousin Algin, how have you courage to stand boldly by falsehood, a falsehood that robs poor orphans of their heritage? You have four little children, the same number that, with us, God has seen fit to leave without parents and friends. Do you not fear that in his retributive justice— he may put a blight upon your children, that he may deprive them of father and mother and throw them friendless and penniless upon a cold world? Or do you not fear he may take them from you, one by one, leaving you to see, when too late, that you have parted with them for gold? God has said he will visit the sins of the fathers upon the children, Cousin Algin, and so surely, as you persevere in this great wrong, he will visit it upon those you prize most dearly. Oh, yes, he will do it. Mrs. Kingsley had risen, and her manner denoted an impatience which was surely to put an end to this strange interview. But her cheek was very pale, and there was no longer doubt that she trembled. You must leave me, Hilda she said. I have strong nerves, but I really cannot bear more of this excited language. Most persons would be unforgivingly incensed at a young girl taking with them such a tone as this. But I can only pity you, pity you sincerely. Go home, my poor girl. A little reflection will, I trust, bring you to reason." I am not at all angry with you, Hilda, not at all. I only pity you, pity you from my heart. Hilda walked to the door. With her hand upon the knob, she turned once more to her cousin. I have made up my mind what to do, Cousin Algin, she said, but only if I'm driven to it. Will you take a day to talk over the matter with Cousin Hugh? He may think differently about it from what you do. Mrs. Kingsley smiled, as she might have smiled on the folly of a little child. I would willingly take a day to consult with my husband, she replied, but not in the way you propose, and to let you think so will be to fix you more unhappily in your strange hallucinations. If you are bent on rushing madly to your own exposure, you must do so. I cannot stay you. The exposure won't touch me, Cousin Algin, and besides, I'm only a poor sewing girl that goes through a good deal. When it touches persons of the high respectability of Cousin Hugh Kingsley and his wife, why, of course, it is quite another thing. With these words, delivered with an odd mixture of humility and dignity, Hilda closed herself out in the hall, 
and in a minute after had quitted her cousin's house. End of chapter 25